Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Guy from Guy's Woodshop, and I'm joined by Hui Huin, also known as the Alabama worker, woodworker. <laughs> the Alabama worker. The I work everything. <laughs> Sean is not going to be with us tonight. He's out of town on business, so he'll catch up with us next time. Yeah, and, we'll see you uh, next time, Sean. Yeah, this podcast is designed to answer questions from the woodworking community and give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. And we do have a Patreon account, and right now we we have one level, and we are simply asking for a small donation just to try to cover the cost of bringing you this podcast. So please go to patreon.com slash woodshoplife and stay tuned to the end of the show, and you can hear about what we've got going on in our own shops. So let's get right into it. We, you've got the first question. The first okay. of three we're taking each tonight. That's right. That's right. So this is from Alan. Uh, Thanks for making Woodshop Life po- podcast part of my life. It's a great mix of styles, knowledge, and snark uh, from Guy's aged wisdom. <laughs> my question takes off from the last podcast and the ending talk on eco-friendly woodshop. I work primarily with reclaimed woods, being involved in this part of the industry since 1990s. So I was caught by the subject's lead in the podcast number 103 marquee. I wasn't disappointed or surprised that reclaimed woods did not make it into onto any of the shortlists, though Sean did trail off the season uh, session with, and like the wood, recycle it. Though I imagine that it referred to using shop scraps, but possibly other types of salvaged wood material. So my question is mostly an open-ended one on any experience that you may all have in using reclaimed material or why it can provoke different reactions among woodworkers, whether used in its original form or rustic surfaces or resurfaced. So I think Alan really kind of hit the nail on the head. It, It really provokes a different reaction from different people based on how it was used by that person. In most of my cases that I've seen or used reclaimed material, it was, and I hate to say it, but in this area, just overpriced comparatively to what you could get from virgin materials. So if I had to choose between one or the other, I would choose the virgin materials. And by virgin, I mean not used for a previous purpose. In my experience, it's been reclaimed material that it's been somebody that just bought a barn or a property that had a barn on it and just took the wood off and wanted to pretty much chop, uh, charge top dollar because it was quote unquote reclaimed material uh, for whatever reason that just evoked a higher price point at the time. And so I just said no to that and just just went with the uh, material that you know wasn't used before. And it just seemed to be cheaper in my opinion, at least here. And it just required less knowledge on my part to really know whether or not it's been properly denailed or kind of going doing that legwork that you would normally pay a sawyer to do in terms of resawing the material in the first place. Because I can imagine that a sawyer does not like having nails. I, I can assure you that sawyers do not like having nails or uh, uh, screws that they have to uh, go over with uh, with a metal detector to ensure that they're not going to hit their blades. But I really think it's just an experiential thing because I'm, I went to uh, a place in Goodwood, Nashville. This is my experience, only other experience with uh, reclaimed material. And uh, Goodwood, Nashville had tons of reclaimed, really cool material that I could definitely see being used for a mantle uh, or for uh, a casing on a beam. But 
I was going there for Cortison White Oak, but again, th these are people that know what they're doing and have gone over the material to make sure that didn't have nails and are, are doing that legwork for you. But again, it was more expensive than the unclaimed material. So that's why I, I choose to go that route. Guy, I think you have some experience dealing with reclaimed material, yeah? Yeah, most of my experience has been, been saying I don't want to work with it. Right. And but it's it, but it's it's, more it's not it's not because of anything other than I do not like the aesthetic. Sure. Yeah. I don't like barn wood, I don't like barn doors, I don't like farm tables. That's just my it's like you know, I, I just don't like it. Yeah. So I'm not gonna use it. And mm -hmm. if people come to me and say, Hey, can you build us out of reclaim? Nope. <laughs> I, I really don't want anything to do with it, especially reclaimed lumber. If I don't know where it's coming from, sure, I don't want it in my shop. Yeah, because I, I, I you don't know what kind of bugs and everything else it's bringing in. Mm -hmm. But you know, we deal with it at work, and I've had to make a couple projects out of out of reclaimed lumber for people, and you know they're rustic looking, and we've had to do extra stuff just to make it more rustic looking. Mm -hmm. um, we, we've we've you know, rubbed a board. We'd taken planed boards and rubbed them up against a, a, a bandsaw blade to scuff them up, to make mm -hmm. them look old. Yeah. I mean, we've done crazy stuff like that. And when it's done, I look at it and go, ugh. <laughs> it's, you know, it's not But, really but again, like some people, some people like it. Right. Some right. people like rutabagas. I don't. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, it's, a it's, it's, it's a personal thing. It's a personal yeah. thing. And as far as the cost goes, well, that's just like anything else. I, I, I view that kind of stuff the same way I kind of view slabs. I think it's overpriced. But again, it's a demand like, right now. There's a demand for it. There's a demand for it. So low supply, high demand equals high prices. Right. And that's just, you know, economy 101. So you know, I, I look at that stuff and I go, eh, it's not, it's just not for me. Mm -hmm. That's all I can say. It's just, it's not for me. Mm -hmm. So, but some people like it. Yeah. To each their own, right? Yeah. And if you can get it, you know, if you got a customer that comes to you and wants something built out of it and you can get it from somebody that just didn't tear down a barn and stored mm -hmm. the wood in their barn. I said, you don't know what kind of critters are living in that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, go ahead and make it for somebody. You're going to pay now, top you, dollar. You're going to pay top dollar for it, but then again, charge your customer top dollar for it. Right, right, right. A absolutely. The, that cost goes on to the client. And I haven't had a client ask me for it yet. Have you? I mean, no, of course you have with, with yeah. your company, right? So, sure. so has there been, have you done mantles or, or sort of like a beam I've cladding mantles, that looked really nice? Where we've taken stuff and then we've taken stuff where, you know, it's like the table is this big and we have to make it smaller. I mean, silly huh. stuff like that. So, um, so not even like the mantles look good or it's just not your style. It's just it's not, just not my style. I, I hear you. I hear you. It's just, like, it's you. not my style. It's like a Maloof rocker. It's not your style. Cool. No, I don't. I would never want one in my house. <laughs> I'll tell you. They I, 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 I appreciate. I, I appreciate the 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 build of it and everything. Absolutely. But I just don't like the look of it. I get it. I get it. So, um, mm -hmm. 
All right. Want to move on? Yeah, it's off, it's off to you, man. All right. So this question comes from Corey. And it says, hi, guys. I want to start by saying you all rock. Yes, you. I listened to a few woodworking podcasts, and yours is the best at passing along knowledge. Well, thank you, Corey. Uh, is he listening to, he must be listening to Hui most of the time. Oh, whatever. Thank you for helping all of us. I am very new to this hobby and I'm in the process of building my wife a cabinet. It will be used for holding potatoes and onions and a few other things that clutter our kitchen up. My question has to do with the glue up for the top of the cabinet. I'm gluing up three pieces of three-quarter cherry together to make the top and I'm concerned about it ending up flat. I'm wondering if I should use dowels to help with this. I'm I am thinking about buying a dowel jig from Rockler. I want to know if this is worth it or should I try a different technique? I would like a good jig, but do not want to break the bank because it will not be used too often. Also, what type of finish would be good for cherry? I'm thinking some stain and then a poly. Thanks again, Corey. So the first part of the question is, should I use a dowel jig to help keep my boards flat? Hmm. And the answer to that is no. The doweling jig, Corey, will not help you keep your boards flat. What it's going to do is help you with alignment to keep it flat when you're gluing it up. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. boards don't slide by each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can do a, a a dry up, a dry glue up of boards or a, a dry clamp of boards, and everything's great. And then you put glue on it, and all hell, all hell breaks loose. <laughs> yeah. So dowels, biscuits, dominoes, that all help. Those all help keep the boards from sliding by one another vertically. So you don't have ridges and it it helps you not have to clean up so much afterwards, Mm -hmm, but it mm -hmm. doesn't help keep the board flat. Right. So the only things you can really, I mean, it's one of those things, you know, make sure that your wood is properly dried. Yes. Here's my, here's my, here's my, here's my suggestions. Make sure your cherry is properly dried Mm -hmm. because cherry is not the most stable of woods. Yep. Um, and if this is a potato and onion bin slash cabinet, which I have seen before, Mm -hmm. these are fairly rustic. So you could get away if this is like one of those lid type things, you know what I'm talking about, Wayne? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. I had one in my house. Okay. So it's got a lid that says, you know, it says something like taters and onions on it or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's got a lid on top of it. You could get away really easy with putting a batten underneath it. Yep. Mm-hmm. For something like that. And a batten is just a piece that goes underneath it that is stood up on its edge grain. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. And then goes along the back of it and put one or two of those on there where it won't get in the way of it closing. And that should help keep it flat. It's not mm-hmm. that... And I may be wrong on what he's doing with it, but that sounds like what it is. So yeah, I think I think we're both envisioning the same thing. If that if that's the case, you know, this is not a really big top. I I'd, I'd put battens on the back of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So what what do that's you think, So battens are a good idea, definitely. But I would use the dowel, depending on how long it is. I would definitely use the dowel jig for the alignment purpose, not for sure. The but I said, but it's not going to help keep it flat. Right, 
Right. Yeah. And, and it, it's important to make that distinction. And, and thank you for saying that. But yeah, I, I would still use the dowel jig for uh, for alignment purposes, because that that definitely is going to help, especially with that glue going all over the place if it's a, a long piece. So let's oh, yeah. say, for instance, uh, I'm envisioning maybe about a two and a half foot, you know, somewhere around like 30 inches wide top is kind of what I'm envisioning here. Um, so if it were less than that, let's say if it was like, I don't know, 18 inches or something, I might not even bother to use a dowel or something. You know, I just, I just edge glue it and just kind of do a quick rub job, uh, rub job, <laughs> rub joint, um, and then just clamp it up. Uh, because, uh, typically off of the joiner, it's, it's flat enough. And, you know, even if it's a small ridge, I can either sand it out or scrape it out really quick. And then I don't have to break, break, uh, bust out a second tool, but if it's long enough, definitely use dowel, but, yeah. but yeah, it's not going to do anything for flatness at all. The, the other thing that, that really can help a board not be flat when you glue it up mm -hmm. or after you glue it up is the jointing itself. Yeah. Yep. Do some, I don't know what the, the exact method is called. I call it the in out method. Yeah. Inside outside rule. <laughs> inside outside rule, whatever you want to call it. So you're, you're, you're jointing one side with the board facing out from the fence and the other board, the, the mating board with the, the joint or the, the face going facing into the in. fence. Yeah. And what it does is it negates any inconsistency in the fence. Right. So if right. you take three boards, let's say, that are, you know, 18 inches wide or whatever, you have three six-inch boards to get 18 inches, mm -hmm. and you face them all out, mm -hmm. and your fence is, you know, uh, a 64th of an inch off, which isn't much. No. Absolutely. But you multiply it over two joints, it's thirty second of an inch off, and your yeah. your your panel is going to be cupped yep. just to close the joints. Yep. So, so you use, do you use the inside outside rule? Absolutely. Yes, I do as well now. Mm -hmm. I always do. I've done I, it that I, way for for years. I haven't always. When I had when I had my eight foot long cast iron joiner, that that fence was rock solid. Yeah, but still, it's not going to be perfect. I always did inside outside. Yeah, and I probably should have then too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I got away I with it. Inside, I always do inside outside. The the second part of his question is, what type of finish would be good for this? He's thinking some stain and then a poly. The 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 cherry shouldn't really need any finish, Corey, or any stain. Right. Um, yep. I probably recommend not staining it. Um, cause it's going to get dark as time goes on. What you mm -hmm. can do with the two, you can build it before you put the, the final or the, the, the finish on it, which, you know, poly is a good choice. Mm -hmm. Um, it's right now it's August, uh, 17th. So it's still sunny out. Put that thing outside for an afternoon. It'll get oh, yeah. darker than you think. Yep. Um, and then put it inside and. Put some get some finish on it, and you know I would use a, a an oil based poly, not a water based poly. Mm -hmm. um, yep. But I think you I think you're fine with just poly. I don't think you need stain. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Wayne? Uh, maybe if you wanted to add a little depth, put a little shellac down. You know, 
uh, I think that'll that'll soak into the grain, look real nice. If you want to do that'll that, also help it, help with blotching on cherry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. But uh, but yeah, I'd keep the. I've always kept the finish very simple with cherry. Would you agree? No, I get kind of crazy with it. Oh, do you? <laughs> I always just use I, like a rub on poly or or just like a shellac and then a you know rub on poly or something like that. I'm always okay. scared of of blotching, so really? I'll put okay. I'll put down a, a shellac. shellac. But I, I also like to use the the potash, the potassium. Uh, yeah, I know. It uh, uh, ages it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So get a little more consistent a, aging. Right? Animal. So yeah. All right. Well, I hope that helps out, Corey. So today's sponsor is 3M. Fast cut, long life, good dust management. When it comes to sanding, you've had a choice of one, maybe three, if you're lucky. That's why we're so excited to tell you about 3M Extract with their new net sanding discs. You can have all three. Loaded with 3M Science, they'll cut fast and get the job done in a hurry. The cool-looking crisscross coating puts more mineral on the disc than any net-style disc has had before, so they'll last and last. And the 3M net backing will allow your vacuum to extract up to 99% of airborne dust. I recently had the opportunity to use 3M Extract on an 8.5 foot long walnut tabletop. The extract sandpaper remained cool, virtually dust-free, and cut fast. I later used the same discs to sand several end grain cutting boards, and again, what was most impressive to me was the speed at which the paper was able to cut. So to learn more and buy now, visit go.3m.com forward slash extract two. That's go.3m.com slash x-t-r-a-c-t-2. You'll find the 3M Extract Cubitron 2 Net Disc 710W, the most advanced sanding disc ever made, and its little brother, the 3M Extract Disc 310W. 3M Extract. Sand less, make more. Hui, you've got the next question. Okay, so this is a handsaw question from Tom. I've been practicing cutting dovetails by hand because I'm silly. <laughs> you and me both. Using the Veritas dovetail saw, I'm uh, pretty sloppy, but using a Veritas rip carcass saw, I'm pretty on point. Is it possible my big rock biter hands are better suited to a larger saw and that offers a better advantage to my end result than the specific size and toothing of the dovetail saw. These used to be such big hands. I know a girl who dated uh, Atreyu from Neverending Story. Oh my goodness. Uh, apparently very short, but I digress. Yes, you do. Uh, but thank you for any insight before I drop some serious change on bad axe or lineals and saws. These Veritas saws are all from the annual scratch and dent sale, which is why I have a rip carcass saw I guess I should also say that my other thought was that the Veritas saws are too light, and that's why I'm having a problem with the really small dovetail saw. It has no mass. So Tom, I'm kind of in agreement with you that I did not particularly care for the Veritas dovetail saw myself, and I've had a good bit of saws that I've tried, and I've, I've landed on Bad Axe and, and uh, Bearcat, uh, what, Brian Knowles saw. So I've tried a Bad Axe, Lee Nielsen, I've tried a Cosmin saw, and I've also uh, used the Veritas saws. I no longer use the Veritas saws. And before we go into this big, huge, long thing about pitch and depth, 
I really think it came down to the fact that the Veracost dovetail saw was just a little bit of a thicker curve. And so it just felt like it created a lot of drag for me. But really, saws come down, especially these you know fine-made dovetail saws, really come down to personal preference. And, and I got fitted for mine and all my situations, and I, I just sort of felt like that was the best. But I, again, Veritas dovetail saw, I know a lot of people who use it. It, it is a ma- mass-produced dovetail saw. I mean, so is, well, I don't know if you necessarily say Lee Nielsen is, but a, a lot of them are... are uh, a lot of the same configuration, but I just sort of felt that the Veritas was, oof, it was problematic for me. Uh, what was your opinion, Guy? I really don't have one. <laughs> um, well, you have the Veritas saws, right? I have a, I have a Veritas saw, but if I'm, I don't want to get into a whole discussion about dovetails, but <laughs> every now and then once in a blue moon like maybe twice in the last 10 years mm-hmm. i've done hand cut dovetails and i prefer the japanese saws hey i that's find cool them, too. i find them easier to use um they're very thin yep i like i like being able to you know cut on the pull stroke yeah and that's the way I felt too. I just felt like the Veritas dovetail saw, the kerf was just too thick. I think it was like 20 thousandths. And then all the other saws I saw were like. I, I have a Veritas dovetail saw because I got it as a, as a gift from oh, somebody nice. um, mm-hmm. one time long ago. But I, you know, I, I don't really use it. I hear you. It I looks you. pretty on my wall. Yeah. So it really comes down to a personal preference. And I know that's mm-hmm. really hard to say because sometimes you really drop a lot of coin on these saws. I was lucky enough to try a lot of them side by side. Uh, I think a friend got a bad axe. Several people I knew had Lee Nielsen saws and then I had the Veritas. And then I think it was Jay Bates who also had the Cosman saw. So I tried out the Cosman saw. It was an interesting saw. It was very heavy comparatively to the other saws. And I think yeah, it's one I have of the heard that about the Veritas saw that it's it's very light in comparison to the other saws. Yes, it's yeah, got I, that like a some type of carbon infused plastic. It's not carbon fiber. Yeah, it's, it's like some kind of carbon infused something that it uses as, as its spine, and it doesn't. It's not very heavy. Yeah, I did feel as though the saw sort of bounced around that it was really hard to keep that the blade in the curve especially when you were uh, starting out at least that was my experience Um, but uh, yeah Tom if you can find somebody with those saws try them out Uh, I really do think I think you're going to see even a marked difference from any of them uh, comparatively to the Veritas saw Uh, my experience has not been the best with that saw so All right, so this next question comes from Jared and says, Hey guys, Jared from Houston here. Really appreciate the podcast. Well, thank you, Jared. I'm making a wall hanging cabinet intended to store a couple whiskey bottles and glasses. My favorite type of cabinet. The cabinet will be solid cherry with one door and maybe a drawer on the bottom. I'm moderately experienced with wood, but woefully a beginner with finishes. Well, we all are. <laughs> I typically would finish with shellac only and wipe down with steel wool to a matte finish. 
However, due to the likelihood of contact with alcohol, I believe another approach might be wiser. My favorite idea right now is put on two coats of shellac and then follow with a coat of spray can lacquer. What do you guys recommend? Also, to what grit do you sand before applying your first coat of finish? Last consideration on his questions. I'll be donating this to auction at a local school fundraiser and do not want to get called for finish repairs down the road. Thanks for any advice you can offer, Jared. So actually, I don't think it's necessary to put two coats of shellac on it. I would put mm-hmm. one coat on and then follow. I think spray can lacquer is a good idea. I do too. I think uh, it just makes it very yeah. simple and come out great. Yeah, a small cabinet like that. Oh, yeah. yeah, you don't need to break out any equipment. You don't need to, you know, like shut the house down for a week or anything. It's just do it in your garage. It dries really super fast. Yeah, and uh, I think it's a, I think it's a good idea. And as far as like sanding it goes, anytime I deal with cherry, we were talking about cherry before. Mm. Um, I like to sand cherry to a higher grit, maybe mm. two twenty. Mm-hmm. I help. I feel it help. It helps seal the the pores a little bit more. Okay. Again, um, to prevent splotching. To prevent splotching. Yep. Oh, nice, nice. Um, and then I'll put a, a wash coat of shellac on it, a seal coat mm-hmm. of shellac, actually. Mm-hmm. And then you know, sand it down a little bit, and then put some type of finish over it. Uh, but like I said, you know, rattle can lacquer, I think, is a wonderful idea. Uh, so. Uh- Wash coat of shellac, is that around a one pound cut? Is that right, guy? One to two pound cut somewhere in that area, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but just one just just one one coat of shellac real quick, just to help seal the wood so that when you put the, the oil in it, it absorbs a little bit more evenly over the Yeah, yeah, the poly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think one uh one cut of shellac on uh, on the finish on the top will be fine and rattle can lacquer is great uh i've always wanted to try to make sure that i have a little bit of ventilation because rattle can uh rattle can lacquer can kind of get you a little lightheaded so uh, (laughs) makes you feel good yeah i usually get some bourbon out while i'm doing it too (laughs) from both ends inhale and uh bourbon and lacquer yep love it um Um, go ahead no, nothing else. Oh, nothing else. Uh, any, all, you know, it was a pretty quick answer to Jared's question. So let's say you didn't want to use lacquer because mm-hmm. your wife is allergic to it mm-hmm. and you can't use lacquer. What would you, what would you do on this if you couldn't use lacquer? Uh, probably like a wiping poly, about, about five, six coats of wiping poly. Just build it up. Yeah. Would you put any wax over the top of it at all or? Actually, a wax. Well, is there going to be alcohol on this? Did he say? It's a whiskey cabinet. Yeah, it's not going to. I wonder if it's not going to really spill on it. I, you know, the 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 chance of that happening is probably pretty slim, but it's always a possibility. Would, would the wax uh, add any additional protection to it, or just add um, add to the sheen? I think it would add a little bit, a little bit extra protection, help repel. Mm. That kind water? of stuff. Water, yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't know how well it repel bourbon or whiskey. <laughs> but um I, I'm a big fan of putting wax on stuff. I use it all the time. Okay. I, I put some wax on really to kind of 
polish something up, give it a little little uh, sheen to it. Yeah, yeah, especially on open pore woods. Mm. I like mm. using shellac. That it helps fill that stuff in. Um, uh, using wax to fill it in. Yeah. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, it sounds like you got a pretty good plan of attack there, Jared. And uh, yeah, I'd say go for it. What What do you usually sand down to with? Yeah, Jared. Th- I'm happy you uh, you mentioned that because I was actually thinking that earlier. Is that right before you said 220? I was thinking 180, um, mm-hmm. and then you said typically a lot of projects you you sand down to up to 180. And because of cherry, you kind of sand it a little higher yeah. to 220, right? Yep. And I, I have found when I've sanded to 220 on cherry, it looks better. Yeah. Uh, There's times where I'll sand at 220. I'll even go up to like 320 and I'll just put wax on it. Uh, for cherry pieces? For small stuff, yeah. For like boxes um, and stuff like that, sure. Right on. It's okay. just easier. Yep. I agree. So. All right, Guy, you've got our sponsor, right? Yes, I do. And this episode is brought to you by Shaper Tools, makers of Shaper Origin. Shaper Origin is an intuitive handheld CNC router that brings digital precision to the craft of woodworking. Working with Origin is simple. You steer Origin while it makes necessary real-time adjustments to ensure a clean, accurate results. With its easy-to-use touchscreen interface, you can quickly create designs on the spot, or upload existing project plans. It's small enough that you can use Origin in the shop or take it with you on the job site, which is very cool. With Origin, traditional workflows become easier and more reliable. Tackle joinery, cabinetry, hardware installation, and more with speed and precision. Learn more about Shaper Origin at shapertools.com forward slash woodshop. As an added bonus, you can try it risk-free in your shop for 30 days. Upgrade your workshop today at shapertools.com forward slash woodshop. All right. Thanks, Shaper. All right. We, you've got the next question. Okay. This question is from John. He says, I recently got a new 12 by 16 shed and I'm planning on shifting all of my woodworking pro- uh, tools out to the multi-purpose garage and creating more of a dedicated shop space. I may have more questions on that in the future, but for now, I'll start with a simple one. I have a few different battery tool platforms, and I know it's bad to, for the long-term battery life to expose the battery to lots of temperature and climate changes. As a result, I have all of my batteries and chargers in our laundry room for now. I, and my wife, would prefer to store these in the shop, but I'd rather not sacrifice the battery's well-being if I don't have to. I know y'all's workshop space is climate controlled, so you probably don't have this issue, but I wanted y'all's thoughts and opinions on the issue in general. Would you make some kind of insulated storage cabinet? Would making some kind of insulated storage cabinet be worth trying, or is that just poppycock? Ha! For, the, for reference, I live in uh, North Carolina, so the winters occasionally get down to the teens and the summers often the 90s. Thanks for all you guys do. Respectfully, John. To answer John's question, is it poppycock? Should he even entertain the idea of an insulated storage cabinet? I have a Milwaukee set. It's an M18. It's about nine years old, and it's been in my shop but even before my old shop, even before it had a mini split. Now, it was insulated, so it didn't get too bad in there, but I've never had it in any type of storage, and the batteries are old, and I bought the batteries refurbished with the tools. 
Well, I don't think the battery's refurbished. I, I believe their battery is new when they put it in there. Um, but I've not had any noticeable de degradation in my battery, and I don't have it in any special type of insulated storage cabinet. I don't think you need to, pretty much based on experience. Is it probably worse for the battery to be out in exposed element with a lot of climate changes? It probably helps in the degradation, and I'm pretty sure that my batteries have degraded in some way. It's just that my operations in the shop and around the house really don't degrade the battery to the point where I really need to change the battery on my handheld drill and a lot of my power tools often. How do you feel about that guy? Do you really think he needs you know, to have some type of insulated storage cabinet? I, th I think John is overthinking it. I think so too. They're, they're, they're batteries. Yeah. Um, for power tools. For power tools. I mean, I know batteries aren't cheap. Granted, they're not, they're not cheap. They're, they're more expensive than tool a lot of times. Sometimes, yeah. But then again, I'm, I'm just looking at some of my, my hand tools right now. Yes, they are in a climate-controlled shop, but I open and close the door, and I don't take care of the batteries like I should. I leave them sitting on a charger when I shouldn't, all that yeah. kind of stuff. I've got a, a set of DeWalt's that I bought like a pack, you know, where you get yep. the, the the three drills and it came with two batteries and a charger. Yep. I know what you're talking about. Or it came, it came with three batteries and a charger. Mm -hmm. That was about eight years ago. Yeah. Well, maybe longer than that. But I'm going to say at least eight years ago. Yeah. The batteries still work. The batteries still work fine. Oh, do they Might work well. like the day I bought them? Nope. Is yeah. that okay? Sure. Yep. Absolutely. I've got um, some Festool batteries that are, you know, a couple, three years old that I don't have any issues with. Mm -hmm. um, but that's it. I don't have a whole lot of cordless tools. I've, I've got um, a cordless router that, that's probably like two years old. Um, that's a rigid. Other than that, that's about it. But I, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say, John, is you're not seeing a lot of degradation. I haven't seen a lot of degradation. And, and, and if you want to go ahead and build a cabinet, just to have fun building something, and you think it will help you, I say go for it. Yep. You know, yep. I build, I build stuff all the time. Do I have to have it? No. Does it help? Yeah. But is it <laughs> like you? No. So. Uh, I just like to build stuff whenever I can. Whenever I whenever I have whenever I can build something that actually has a function, it makes you happy. It makes me happy to build it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so yep. I'd say go ahead and build it. I agree. I agree a hundred percent. He kind of sounds a little excited about <laughs> about yeah. the idea of making an insulated cabinet for, and I th that kind of fun functionality in the shop. It's awesome to have. <laughs> Yeah. You're going to look at that and once you're done with it and say, man, I just know my batteries are just up to par. <laughs> no, but you know what? It yeah. makes you happy in the shop. I, sure. You know something I have in the shop that just makes me happy is I have my paper towels hanging in between uh, the rail of my garage doors. And it's just right there. I can just go up to it and I can just grab it and I can pull it. I, I love the fact that it's there. It's the little it things, makes, man. It just makes you happy. 
And I think him having an insulated, you know, cabinet for his battery pack probably would make him happy to do so. So go for it. Go for it, man. So, all right. I think, Guy, you have the last question. Is this the last question? I think so. Time flew flew by. did. So this comes from Josh. And Josh says, hello, guys and Guy. Thank you for delivering an awesome podcast. You guys are very welcome. We, We aim to please. I know this topic is taboo. And now it's not a sauced off question. I was wondering what y'all's thoughts were on veneering one side of a panel when it is already in its frame. Mm, mm -hmm. I am planning on building a tool cabinet loosely inspired by fine woodworking's Mike Pekovich tool cabinet. The door in question would be a traditional frame and panel door with a half inch plywood panel set into a quarter inch groove. The Mm -hmm. back of the door has a case style frame attached to the back to give it to give the hinge door some depth to house tools. The reason I'm wanting to only veneer one side is due to lack of material. The door frame will be made of mesquite and the panel, the panel shops on veneer out of spalted hackleberry or hackberry, excuse me. Sounds pretty cool. I know Mm -hmm. I could veneer the back with another material, but I'm also trying to save on weight thickness of the panel. Hopefully y'all will have some advice experience on this topic. I am planning on doing this project in about six months. Thanks Mm. in advance, Josh. Talk about getting Mm. your ducks in a row before you get to work, Josh. So let me explain to everybody why you want to balance your veneer. Mm -hmm. In other words, you should always have an odd number of layers. So you've got mm-hmm. a substrate, one on the front and a layer on the back. Yep. Okay. If you're just doing laminations together, you should always have odd numbers. Mm-hmm. The reason is, is if you put, even if though it's in a, if it's in a frame and it's not that big, and I'm familiar with this, this tool cabinet he's, he's referring to that Mike Pekovich built. Mm-hmm. It's not that big. And I think you could probably get away with it. Is it thumbing your nose at conventional wisdom? Yes. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's a big deal. So the reason you do that is because when you you have the middle piece, yep. your substrate, and you put glue and veneer on one side, as that piece of veneer gets wet from the glue mm-hmm. and dries, it shrinks. Contracts, yep. And what it will do is it will pull the one side mm-hmm. so it will make your it'll it'll warp your your board it'll warp your substrate so you put another piece on the back to give it equilibrium mm-hmm. so that when it dries it's pulling equally from both sides that's why you do it but in this case it sounds like a he's going to use plywood yep plywood and- substrate plywood substrate and it's in a frame so the chances of that substrate and it's this is not that big of a a panel it's maybe you know 18 inches long by 12 inches high that's in the back of it Mm -hmm. yep or on the top of it um 
I really don't think there's going to be enough force there to take it and warp the door. Right. I don't think anyways. It's the same thing you'll see like um, guys that'll do hammer veneering on drawer faces. I was just going to say hammer veneering. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Which is just a, it's, it's just a different type of veneering. But right. they're veneering just one side, one right. side of solid wood. But the thing is, it's held captive by the drawer sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's very little chance of it going. Might so it I, also I think he's okay. Might it also do with the kind of veneer glue that they use in hammer veneering? Do you yes. think that might help? That's, that's hide glue. There's not as much water in it, but there's still right. water in it. Um, I think if I was going to do this, I would probably use uh, the, the rear resin glue. Mm-hmm. Just make a really hard glue yeah. line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or use epoxy. Yeah, that's a great one, one too. Um, um, what do you think about the contact one or... What is it? Contact uh, heat man? lock. Heat lock. Uh, I've I've never used it. Sean's Sean's used it. Or he's I think he's getting ready it. to use it. Yeah, he likes it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so that might work too. And I think you're absolutely right. Conventional wisdom, and I know this piece because I've I've built a variation in size to Mike Pekovich's, and there are two panels, one on the top, one on the bottom, uh, and they're they're really not that big. And so I think he would get away with it if he only used one side. But you're absolutely right. Conventional wisdom tells you to do both sides. If in the drying process of the veneer, it's going to create a little bit more tension or compression on that side. Excuse me, not tension uh, because it's drawing in. Conventional wisdom would tell you to do it on both sides. But I think he would get away with it because these aren't gigantic panels they're, they're really not that big so um it might work yeah but I, 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 i'm not you know. he, he's making the 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 he's going to be veneering shops on veneer out of spalted hackberry yeah i have i've never used hackberry i have no idea what its properties are yeah so it really depends on how thick it is too mm-hmm if he's using like eighth inch thick, eh, it could be a problem. Yep. I'd probably get it down to somewhere between a 32nd and a 16th. Yeah. Jump, run it through the drum sander. Run through the drum sander and get it somewhere in that general area. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But yeah, it, 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 there are a lot of factors that go into why and if, you know, a panel's going to cup and why something doesn't. Uh, I have. No, actually, everything I've done has been balanced uh, just because, I mean, that's what you read, right? You read that you want to create a balance sheet on the back Yeah. when you're, when you're veneering a panel. I've done just one side on drawer fronts before, many times. I have as well. Mm-hmm. Many times on drawer fronts. I've never done it on a door panel. So I do the, the whole half-blind trick. You know what I'm talking about? Half-blind? Yeah, where you cut dovetails and then you uh, veneer a yeah 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 eighth inch piece of uh, yeah you make veneer it, it, it through dovetails you make them look like half blind correct yep because mm-hmm. they're easier yeah. to hand cut right and, and you know I actually asked you about that I think I either texted you or called you It's like you know 
you always hear about using a balance of an ear, but if I just slap this thing on with glue, what's going to really, is it going to do anything? And you actually called me up. I remember this guy. You called me up and says, well, how, how thick are you going? It's like, I don't know, about an eighth of an inch, maybe a little thicker. He says, and I, I remember your response. He's like, eh, it doesn't matter. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I just rem- I remember. And I was like, yeah, why wouldn't it? And I still have that piece in my sh- in my uh, bedroom. It's fine. Good. Yeah. It, it, there's nothing wrong with it. But again, the, the, the conventional, we're talking about conventional wisdom and accepted norms. Mm-hmm. An accepted norm is to do it on a drawer front. It mm-hmm. is not an accepted norm to do it on a door panel. Two right. different things. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know yeah. why you could. I, I, I don't see a problem with it. If, if it was a big ass door, yeah, yeah. But mm-hmm. it's this is a small piece. Mm-hmm. You know, you just gotta you gotta experiment with it. <laughs> yeah. you give it a try. Give it a try. And got tell us. Time. Got plenty of time. Got six yeah, months. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, I think that's, is that it for the questions? That's it for the, the questions. Show, you know, we, we miss Sean. Sean yeah, rocks. I know. He does. So what do you got going on in your shop, Wee? Anything? I got quite a bit. So I finished that coffee table that I was uh, rebuilding the tabletop to that has a glass panel that fits into it. Uh, finish that and I deliver it tomorrow. And in the midst of finishing that, I also took delivery. Well, I went and picked up some red oak from American Hardwoods in Tony, Alabama. And, uh, yeah, it's eight quarter, uh, red oak that I've got for the next client that is up. And then I have one more project after that. And I think I'm going to call for the rest of the year, just take a little bit of time, uh, a little bit more time with the family uh, outside of normal work because I do spend a good bit of time, free time out in the shop just to try to get client project out the door. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this is a, this red Oak project, it's going to be the stain project that I talked about in the last episode mm-hmm. guy. I know you're not a big fan of red Oak, but I nope. think it's, you know, it's, but it, again, I'm happy to work with it. It works well with me. Um, I know you don't particularly like it, nope. um, but it does stain well. Uh, yeah. You know, I know ash stains better. At least for you, it does. Yeah, um, if you can't get ash, but you, if you can't get ash, um, and I can't, uh, so uh, so yeah, that's what I've got going on in the shop. Uh, trying to get that done before I go on vacation for a week. You're going, guy. What fun? do you got? Where are you going on vacation? Oh, I'm going to Florida to see my sister and my mom is coming down from New York to see our newborn that is six months old and my nice. stepfather as well. Um, and in the midst of that, we will be going to Disney because oh, nice. it's only about a 45 minute drive. So we're going to do that for a couple of days. Sweet. Yeah. So in my shop, as always, I've got nothing going on. And at work, I've got less going on. Not many people know this. Well, probably nobody knows this. But last, oh, I don't know, about seven months or so, I've had some health issues. And the last month or so, I've actually, actually longer than that, probably about the last two months, 
I was part-time at work because mm. I couldn't work full days. My health just wouldn't allow me to. So I'm finally back to work full-time, and I started that last week, Thursday. But mm-hmm. I'm part-time in the shop, and I'm part-time in the office mm-hmm. where I'm doing CAD work and some other just various things. But I've been sitting behind a computer all week just doing nothing but CAD drawings. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm about to lose my, my sanity. Yeah. So hopefully I'll get done with the, with the catalog of stuff that they want to get done and in the books, and then I can get back out to the shop. And then we also do, um, we have this thing called the School of Woodworking and Discipleship. Um, for people that don't know the company I work for, it's more of a men's ministry. where We help people transition from either incarceration or drug addiction or homelessness mm-hmm. and try to help them, you know, reintegrate into society. So that's what our place does. It gives those people jobs and we help them, you know, get along. So one of the things that we do is we have two different things. We have a, we call our apprenticeship school where we bring people in. We teach them how to do basic woodworking and see if it takes with any of them. And then we mm-hmm. might hire them. But then we also go to Wheeler Mission yeah. downtown and we do just general classes for the guys there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been working, that's how, that's called our advance um, program. And I've been working doing some of that. I'm actually going there tomorrow. Um, so that's what I got going on. Not a lot of woodworking, but a lot of other fun stuff. Well, it's important stuff. Yeah, I'd like to think so. Mm-hmm. So anyways, we miss Sean. Sean, come back soon. Yep. So I think that's going to do it. We'd like to thank everyone who left us a five-star review on iTunes. It really does help us in the search rankings. And of course, we truly appreciate the support and feedback. Please remember this podcast is here to answer your questions. Um, so if you have any woodworking questions you'd like answered, send them through the podcast uh, contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. I can be found on most social media platforms at Guy's Woodshop. And where can you be found at, Wee? You can find me at alabamawoodworker.com and all the links to my social media are on my website. And I just wanted to remind everybody that the questions that we're getting in, they're great questions. We've got very yeah. good questions. And so please keep sending them in. It, you know, simple, complex, you know, we'll, we'll pare it down if we have to, to, to make it onto the show. Yeah. Um, but try to keep them, you know, fairly short questions so that we can, we can have a discussion about it and we can, we can all uh, talk a little bit more about our own experiences. Yeah. So. And since Sean, Sean's not here, I'm going to plug his website, which is mm-hmm. simplecove.com. And if you haven't been to that website, you really should go. It's a really good website. People can post their own projects there, post blogs about their projects, all kinds of, there's some very talented people doing some very cool stuff there. So you should check it out, simplecove.com. So, all right. 
I guess that'll do it. And uh, I guess we'll see you in a couple weeks, Wade. All right. I'll see you in a couple, guy. All right. See you. See ya.